Hi, I'm Azilia. And I'm Iqbal. And this is the He Says, She Says, They, they say, say Podcast. podcast. Okay, they yeah. say po- <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, welcome to today's episode of He Says, of whatever. <laughs> Today, we have a very special guest with us to talk about a topic that neither Azalea and I fully understand. <laughs> Joining us today is Shafika Othman, a Malaysian writer. Shafika, please say hello to everyone. Hello. Hi, everyone. It's so great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. Can you introduce yourself to our audience just so they know who you are? Okay, so my name is Shafika Othman. I am a Malaysian writer. Used to mostly write about politics and religion, but I haven't been. I, I mean, I, I'm still a strong activist. I fight for women's rights, child rights, um, less more on the political stuff. Now I am your normal 9 to 5 Content writer, yes. Wow. <laughs> can you explain? To, can you explain to everyone why why we decided to have you on for this episode of K-pop? Yes, please. I love K-pop. <laughs> can you say something in Korean? Oh no, I'm so bad at other languages. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fine. Uh, my my K-pop obsession hasn't reached the point where I'm confident speaking in the language. Okay. Yeah. Okay, but it is fair. It is fair to say that you have a K-pop of obsession. Oh yeah, I do. How did your K-pop obsession start? At what age did it start? So it started um, early 2019. So it's very recent. But once you get into it, it's kind of like a, a very steep slope. Okay. So I used to hate it. I used to hate K-pop. And I remember I used to hate BTS so much. Ya Allah. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I used to be like, why are they everywhere? Their songs are annoying. Like, can I go onto social media for one day and not see anything about BTS and it used to annoy me so much <laughs> until I met my husband. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. Is this a plot twist? Is your husband Korean? No, no, he's not. He's Malay. Yeah. But the funny thing is, um, I remember um, whenever we were in the car, right, he would always turn on Korean songs. And I was in love, right? I loved this guy. So obviously, I just sat in my passenger seat quietly. I didn't go all, you, kenapa you buka lagu K-pop? But I didn't say any of that because I didn't want to like, I didn't want him to run away. <laughs> so, but then the the more I heard it, it kind of like stuck in my head and then it reached a point where I'm like, what yeah. song is this? What group is this? And then he would like tell me about it and then sometimes when he's bored, he would turn on music videos or watch variety shows and somehow I just fell into it and I never got out since then. <laughs> I guess it's like a testament to how much you love him that that hatred for something that he loves turned into an entirely new devotion for you. Exactly. Huh? Azilia, I have receipts <laughs> Uh, Shafika's tweets from like 2011. Oh dear, do I know? Shafika, do you know? Do you know what I'm gonna say? Yeah, I do. <laughs> she has tweets from 2011 saying K-pop makes me want to throw up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> At that point. Yeah. In 2012, K-pop versus iPop is trending. This is bullshit. <laughs> 
Yeah, <laughs> my God. I almost can't believe how obsessed I am yeah. right now. So we want to understand it ourselves. Like, I guess Azilia and I, we're in much like, um, the pre... the two thousand. We're in 2011 Shafika, like, stages. Uh, I'm in the middle. Okay. <laughs> I guess we don't hate hate it. We wouldn't call ourselves K-pop fans, would we? And you, you, you don't understand the big deal. Exactly. <laughs> Do you know, there's... So there's this video of this... <laughs> <laughs> this black guy on Twitter, he um he made this video, just like this rant, and it's this hilarious video because he's sitting in his car and he's like uh-huh. topless. He's just getting so 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 angry at K-pop stands. <laughs> he's just like, why are you always <laughs> like why why would you go on a tweet that has nothing to do with K-pop and be like stand this, stand that, stand this Chinese guy? And he gets so so angry. <laughs> oh, but K-pop fans do that though. Yeah, we don't we like I don't understand that. Like how how did K-pop inspire such a devotion we, we've we never I don't think I've ever seen this before of yeah. like this level of devotion at least not in the internet age that was also <laughs> one of the reasons why I really hated K-pop back then was because under every single viral tweet there was bound to be some fan cam that I don't give a shit about what are fan cam? fan cams are basically videos of that particular K-pop idol for example BTS is a seven group band right mm-hmm. so a fan cam would be a video of all of them performing on stage but it is focused onto one of the members oh okay and do you do you watch a lot of these fan cams you, yourself personally I used to hate them but now when I see them I just okay what's the harm in pressing play <laughs> that seems to be a trend with you used to hate and then complete love yeah. fake love <laughs> Okay, so what we're going to do next for the show, I guess sort of talk about the K-pop, the like very beginnings of it, how it got to where mm-hmm. it is today. And so how about I just share some of these findings with you guys. Okay, so Korea... Mm-hmm. We know their history. We know, you know, South and North Korea. They were a nation at war. And so in the 1960s and like the 70s, they were sort of under a dictatorship. You know, censorship was very, very heavy of like music, of pretty much everything. And this continued even past when that dictator was assassinated. And so pre-90s was very, very patriotic. Ten years before the very first sort of K-pop song in Korea during this era was like songs that glorify patriotism or glorify fight the country so to speak and we we wouldn't see any change or any departure from this theme in musicality until the 1990s and what happened was in korea they would have weekly music shows of people singing in front of a live studio audience and all these things and then in 1992 a band called so taiji and boys debuted for the first time have you heard of them i heard about them for the first time when i watched um K-pop explain. Okay, so Taiji and Boys were pretty much this much um like a lot of people call them the founding band of K-pop. Mm-hmm. And on their very first TV appearance, their performance looked very much like what modern K-pop performances look like, like the dancing and then the boy band members. And so this was the state of K-pop in the 90s. They pretty much introduced a whole new genre, not just musical genre, but just like way of thinking in Korean entertainment that it doesn't have to be just lagu patriotic, that it can be like, yeah. that it can be more 
more than just lagu jiwang sedih. They were seen of like sort of rebels, right? Yeah, huh? exactly. And so this pretty much was the first cultural shift that happened in Korea in the 90s. The second one being the Asian financial crisis. And then in 1999, the Korean government passed a law that essentially mandated that they would put 1% of their entire government budget into cultural art. And so in 1999, they passed the basic law for the promotion of cultural industries. And there were three companies at this time that memang took advantage of the situation. Yes, yeah, so there's JYP Entertainment, there's YG, and there's SM. Shafika, can you sort of explain a little bit the significance of these three companies? Mm, I know um, the guy that started SM was the one that basically suggested that music should be a new export. Mm-hmm. YG was started by one of those um, So Taiji guys. JYP, they hold worldwide auditions every worldwide year. Worldwide as in looking for talent? Yeah. They have one online right now. So, But like to sing songs, like to become a Korean idol or? <gasps> you can be a Korean idol, Korean actor, actress. So if you if you were to go to Google right now and just look up JYP auditions, they actually hold online auditions for Koreans and non-Koreans. Like, and then you can choose oh, whether wow. you want to sing, Dance at- does it have to be a Korean edition? Like, does it have to be Korean songs? I don't know. But I, but I do know that non-Koreans can also audition. And what was interesting for me when I checked out the website to become a Korean mm-hmm. idol. Of course me. you did. <laughs> <laughs> I, checked <it. laughs> I checked it out. And the age for audition, uh-huh. they separated it into two. And it was 14 and below or 14 and above. Oh, wow. Why is that? Why did, why did they start them so early? From what I've read, to mold someone into a K-pop idol is a very arduous task because you have to polish them up based on their singing, their dancing, um, some of them even acting, and then you have to polish their looks. Basically, it's a very heavy process that leaves them almost no time to do anything else. So I won't be surprised, like, that's one of the reasons why they start them really early. So uh-huh. when they finally debut, mm-hmm. they are at their peak, you know, because who would be interested in a K-pop idol that debuts at age, mid-30s? All the K-pop idols, the oldest would be, like, late 20s. Oh, wow. That's still pretty young. Yeah, but they start since, like, they're, they're young, like, 19, 20. At least by the time they debut, they will be at the age where it's easier for them to Okay, so because they start at a very young age, and also the appeal of this is pretty large in Korea, do you think um, these classes are offered in schools? I don't know, do you think it's a curriculum or is it like an activity that you do outside of school? to prepare yourself to be a, an I idol? I would assume it's extracurricular. It's not something that's taught in schools because um, I know when people pass through auditions and they actually get into that stage where they can begin training, Yeah. the training is where you get those specialized classes on improving voice, dance. I guess it's a version yeah. of sports. <laughs> uh, yeah, right? That's actually a really good point because you do, yeah, see, no. you do see that much um, parallel in like other countries where you start, you know, you have kids in like English schools going to, I don't know, like the youth Manchester United getting scouted, youth Manchester United teams and then they debut for the team at like 17, 18. Mm, which interesting. Yeah. So, okay, on the topic of these three big sort of record labels, there's SM, there's YG, there's JYP. Now, SM Entertainment was like first one mm. that was founded by this guy, Lee Suman. Uh, as you mentioned, who initiated the idea that Korea should have its culture be an exportable product. And his mm-hmm. record label, SM Entertainment, now probably best known for EXO and Girls' Generation, and then 
And then next one was YG Entertainment, which was founded by that first K-pop band by one of Sotaiji's members. And YG Entertainment, they're probably a bit more reputable. They have names like Big Bang, Blackpink, and of course, Psy under their name. So when Psy did Gangnam Style, he -hmm. was under their record label and it boosted their Mm -hmm. profits by like beberapa ratus percent. And then last but not least, there is JYP Entertainment, who I guess their biggest name is Rain and personally for me, I guess my first much um introduction to Korean K-pop really was Rain. He was the first guy I saw on like billboards in Malaysia whose sort of songs I hearing in Malaysia. Oh yeah, yeah, I've heard of Rain. What's, I guess notable about Rain. So he this was the early two thousands or mid two thousands, and he was the first sort of Korean artist to make it globally, which again was another milestone for K-pop. More broadly. Mm, mm. I mean, I've heard of Rain. I've heard some of his songs, but for me, it's always been um uh, oh um yeah. nobody by Girls oh, yeah, Generation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Do a demo of that. Nobody, nobody but you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I do know that um, that Rain was really famous here because yeah I saw him on billboards a lot too I guess this was, this was the period of your life when you were still a K-pop hater yeah I was like oh all these people why why do we have current people on our billboards it's like funny especially because like Rain it's almost like when you arrive in Malaysia and when you leave Malaysia he's like the first face you see upon arrival and the last face you see upon leaving because one of his billboards for Kuku, the water brand, the <laughs> water yeah. filter, he is like is on the road from KLIA with Siti no Aliza yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god! And like, have you guys seen his TikTok? Yes. Oh my god, he's so hot. Yeah, she's like, he's like, he's not young, basically. He's in his what forties, yeah. and he looks like he could be a teenager. I mean, from his face, you know he's not a teenager. Yeah. And they call them idols. Do you do you have any idea why they call them idols rather than I don't know artists or celebrities um, or whatever? I've I first heard about calling idols from J-pop. Mm. Yeah, so we have like um, Japanese girl groups, boy groups. Uh, most most of them are like girl groups and I found out about Japanese idol groups through an anime I used to watch because J-pop and K-pop have quite a number of similarities they're, they're basically different branches on the same tree basically creating an idol the word in itself would mean someone to look up to someone you want to follow if I'm not mistaken J-pop started the whole having idol groups creating idols and then Koreans were probably inspired by it I suppose because I don't think So Taiji started the idols you know like calling them as idols I think yeah. it was more recent it came after them yeah. but is it also much I'm in the same context of like referring to these wildly popular like artists celebrities kind of in, thing in the in, Japanese context as well or yeah. does it also refer to much other things you know, it, it refers to like artists like basically you have a group of performers sing dance rap or whatever and they are called idol groups and each person in the group is an idol which is basically the same as K-pop like idol groups so if that's the case, why do you think J-pop did not make it as big Ooh, as K-pop? I think K-pop perfected the formula of creating idols. How crazy does it get with them trying to craft a idol group? Like trying to make it perfect? Yeah. 
one of the moments that made me realize how much detail goes into manufacturing and creating these idol groups was when I watched a BTS stage mix. So a stage mix is basically performances being put together and they transition into one another, which is created by fans. Uh-huh. There was a revelation in my head that was like, oh man, it's so crazy. It was because they were performing the same song and every transition into a different stage is being replicated from one stage to another stage and there was no mistake there was no flaw and it was at that moment that I realized how much training must have gone into every single one of their choreographies whenever they make a comeback or whenever they release a new song fan camps would concentrate on one member at all times even when it's not their verse so even when they are not in the spotlight they still have to have a certain face be a certain way yeah they have to be perfect wow. maybe K-pop does deserve all my money you know <laughs> <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like all the stuff that they, that that they go through that they're doing maybe they do deserve the 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 money the hype that they're receiving because it's not easy yeah, you know the future rama meme of like whatever mcfly holding a wad of cash out and he's like take yeah. my money yeah that's yeah, <laughs> we should superimpose your face on that but, like based on that do you think every single thing Thing is being controlled their physical appearance what they wear who they're allowed to date just what they say in general as well during interviews do you think that's all controlled? I wouldn't say controlled but more of like there has to be guidelines to follow like do not be too political not too conservative but not to open, you know, like, but from what I've heard, the K-pop industry now is less restricting. So a lot of artists now are allowed artistic freedom and artistic expression to the point where even fans are like, oh, this is not the K-pop idol that I know. Why have they changed when it's actually just them? And like when it comes to the whole dating thing, right? If you're dating, you better not let anyone know. A lot of hype that goes around you depends on whether you're single. There are K-pop idols who are in healthy and happy relationships but when you're a K-pop idol and you're single people are more likely to swoon over you because they can imagine themselves being with that K-pop idol yes (laughs) do you also know about the sort of conscription in South Korea of like compulsory military service yeah I've heard about that someone from BTS is supposed to be drafted like next year Shafika you mentioned that like a lot of these idol groups started very young. They started like 14 and so And I'm wondering if mm-hmm. this conscription thing has anything to do with it because the way it works is you, like male citizens are required to perform compulsory military service for like two years, I believe. And they can choose when to do mm-hmm. it anytime between the ages of 18 and 28, which is really the peak years of K-pop idols, it seems like. And so how yeah. does that impact their career? I know there have been K-pop idols uh, that took a break because they had to go for military service. It's something that's um, still compulsory, yeah. even though there are people who think like, oh, no, give them an exception because, you know, they earn a lot of money for the country. All right, so because both, I guess it's fair to say for both Azalea and I that both our tastes and preferences for entertainment is more Western-centric. And so in a lot of ways, like this phenomenon is very foreign to us from the dancing and the singing and everything. And it, like the impression is it's fair to say mm-hmm. that the dancing is as much a part of K-pop as the actual song itself. Oh, yeah. way that you don't see in Western artists like we trombole je dengar a whole like Taylor Swift album and never see her dance or anything versus I guess part of the appeal of a K-pop group mm. is not just the singing it's also everything else I think 
one of the things that kind of like really pulled me in was when I started watching their videos. Like the way they dance and then the amount of energy that goes into it, the colors. The thing about K-pop songs is that every single K-pop song that comes out with a music video, lots of money go into that production. Which is crazy because have like have you watched Korean music videos? Yes. I every time I look at it, I'm like, this 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 song is not even famous. Why are you investing so much money in it? But <laughs> like that's the reality of it. Like it's it's such a a big deal. It's from the singing to the choreography to the colors to the way they dress. I I have to give them points on the way they dress. I think their fashion is really important. I like seeing them dress up for music videos, even though it makes absolutely no sense. I know, right? I've seen K-pop idols like performing with a sling bag. I'm like, how do you even like with all those moves and then you have a sling bag? How does it work? But they put it off all the time. I don't know how. Shatika, do you think this is part of the reason for why there's such an appeal to like K-pop, even though there's a barrier to the language of it? Like at least with Western music, if it's in English and we can understand the lyrics, so there's that extra layer on top of the music mm-hmm. versus with K-pop, even though we don't understand the lyrics, we may see the dances mm-hmm. and stuff, and that's why there's that appeal. Even if you don't watch the videos, right? Listen to the music enough times and it will eventually pull you in because every single K-pop song is a mashup of like different genres mm. which like it just gets stuck in your brain for so long first it's the audio that seeps into your mind and then when finally you're like okay I need to know the, the name of this song so you search it up and then you come across the video and then you watch the video and you're like oh shit this is so good <laughs> and then you like watch more and then suddenly you start watching into, it's it's just a rabbit hole that you cannot get out it of it sounds like you just detailed the experience of a gateway drug someone <laughs> starting starting like how they enter and become a full-blown addict you know so I like to understand that actually yeah you're you're right like K-pop music videos they're very distinctive and they're, you look at one and let's say you mute the music and you just look at the screen you know immediately okay this is definitely K-pop and like how is it that they managed to create something mm-hmm. that it's really weird that no one has done this before how did they manage to do it? I think the reason how K- the K-pop industry has mastered the whole thing right on like a global takeover was because through all these years of like K-pop existing from its from the time that it first started, they kind of saw how the fans act, having fan camps, doing stage mixes. Uh, do you know that collecting cards of your idols are also a thing? Dang, so it's really like baseball <laughs> so cards, like, like Pokemon. Yeah, like Pokemon cards. So like, with every they have different uh cards that would be like in different albums. So some buy the same album over and over again just to see what cards they get. So I think it's the whole understanding the visual appeal of, a, of an idol. They know what the consumers want, right? So they will create fan camps, so make sure you always look perfect on stage. They're going to create stage mixes, so make sure your choreography is perfect and like things like that. So it's basically like years and years of researching and understanding how a fan works. And I think it's kind of um, K-pop really concentrate on fan service. Yeah. And that's what makes people keep This has raised an interesting observation for me based on your explanation. Mm -hmm. Because like celebrities in the West, as much love as they get, they also get a lot of hate. Like a lot of celebrity gossips and um, embarrassing photos. Mm -hmm. Because you mentioned that each K-pop idol is groomed to perfection, even though they're on stage and, and they have their own fan cams. 
um, focusing on them, even though they're not in mm-hmm. the main spotlight. I guess off stage as well, there isn't much gossip about no. them. Like I don't ever see any K-pop idols like getting trashed by the media or anything. Yeah. Like it's all very hush hush. Yeah. So they're they're always seen to be perfect. Mm-hmm. So do you think that's a major contributor to creating a larger fan base and also making their fans like them even more? It could be. But I do feel like K-pop idols could benefit a lot more if they were open. I mean, they are now as compared to how it used to be. But I guess I guess the whole idea of perfection, like what you mentioned, is also a contributing factor into why all these people are so obsessed. And you mentioned that... Um, Western artists like get criticized a lot by the media, right? Yeah. Ironically, the people who criticize K-pop idols the most yeah. are actually their fans. Oh, like oh he got a new tattoo. Why would he do this? Oh, he went out and he drank alcohol. How could oh. he do this? Yeah, oh, wow. things like that. And then it turns into a whole. It can turn into a whole issue of like, oh, he did. He did something that does not fit my idea of perfection. Oh wow. So whereas like Western fans love the scandal, yeah. Korean fans tend to really not like those. Oh, it's it's not just Korean fans, trust me. Like, the, the Malaysian K-pop fans, like, they too, yeah. you know? It's, it's, it's like they're supposed to be Disney characters their entire life. Yeah, like, they're supposed to be perfect or something. Because they're really into the fan service, the K-pop industry also has this thing um, called Lives. So, Lives, uh, basically, they have an app specifically for K-pop groups to go live where they can talk to their fans. And it's an app for K-pop mm, groups. Okay, uh, I think we're coming up on our last couple questions. Uh, you've mm-hmm. been mentioning a lot about fan service and just like the whole creation of K-pop idols and stuff. And so, which leads me mm-hmm. very nicely to my next question, Shafika. Yeah. It seems like a very cynical and bleak situation where, I don't know, just to me, the impression of macam these record labels creating from scratch and then manufacturing essentially a product that they know consumers want and it's a very sort of bleak view of art in that i don't know when you think of mm-hmm. art you think of something that's organic or something Freedom. that's macam yeah. real right and mm-hmm. i mean we see it in other places as well like marvel studios and marvel movies they're very formulaic as well and it seems like that's what k-pop groups are formulaic mm-hmm. it seems they follow a cookie cutter punya, okay, kau ikut this pattern and then we just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again and then we, that's what we're going to put out into the world and everyone loves it. And I mean, I'm speaking mm-hmm. as a Marvel fanboy as well. I absolutely love Marvel movies but at least there are movies other than Marvel movies as well. Mm-hmm. To me, it seems like K-pop is essentially what comes out of this sort of factory line. And I don't know, that seems very cynical to me. True, but I do feel like, like there's... there's slightly more freedom and everything because they usually have fun like within their group. Seeing that the K-pop industry Mm. is one of the biggest contributors to South Korea's GDP, they will continue to innovate things because technology too that when then with YouTube going around there's always something new to look forward to so you're, mm-hmm. you're essentially saying that even though the process is sort of formulaic even though the process is a manufacturing process the product is still real yes still genuine is that fair because I also feel like as a if, if I was a K-pop producer right I think at a certain point fans would know if things are too manufactured so they do have to kind of like be less restrictive and allow yeah. a bit more transparency and a bit more honesty in the way they show themselves. So I feel like at a certain point, as a K-pop producer as some, or maybe as a manager of a K-pop group, right. we do realize that fans need more than just fan service. 
they need to know these people are also just as human. I guess that's that very optimistic. A, yeah, and that's a very optimistic <laughs> way of putting it. Uh, okay, so last question. Again, I guess even though it's formulaic, it's still real mm-hmm. and all these things, but because there seems to be a formula to it, do you think we would ever be able to do it for Malaysia's creative industries? And not necessarily for music or whatever, mm-hmm. but maybe in other things as well. But just getting Malaysia's creative industries to the level that South Korea is at. Because if you look at our histories, like in 1960s or like late 1950s, Malaysia, we just got our independence in South Korea. They were in a war. And at the same time that we had our independence, they were among the poorest countries in the world. And their commitment to creative industries, mm-hmm. their commitment to the arts, it helped them to just yeah global prosperity in such a way that malaysia i don't know how do you think we would ever be able to do the same thing or replicate the same success i think we can but from the way that i see it right i don't know if our people are ready to accept it you know because this religious restrictions okay do you know men in malaysia really look down on k-pop men where they're like oh they look so gay they're like this um, batang mo, <laughs> like basically all this stuff that they have to say that you one know? sounds too <laughs> that one sounds too specific to be like something you just created off the top of your head that sounds yeah that sounds like someone's actually said that before they have that's why i can remember it so they're like oh they're like batang mo, which was why when I feel like when it comes to replicating that in Malaysia, a lot of it has to do with how we as a society will accept it. Because I we used to have a Malay boy band group. Do you know that? Baru nak cakap are you? No, like like they tried to replicate um the the K-pop style with the dancing, the dress, and everything. I think they were called Twenty Four Seven, and they called themselves an M-pop group. Wow. They didn't go anywhere, lah. Obviously, but you know, yeah. <laughs> Because everyone uh, made fun of them. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess you I guess you kind of have to be confident in your own culture, I suppose. Because I see all these Korean pop and stuff like they're so open and out there and welcoming to like tourists and people wanting to understand more about them. So like they can dress mm. extravagantly and like their own people don't make fun of them, you know? And in fact, maybe they get supported by the people. But for us, it's like if we try yeah. to dress, you know, slightly edgier, then we do get we do get made fun of, right? Like the only person I can think of now that's made it out there is Yuna. Mm. And then she even like once mentioned that um, she gets her most criticisms from Malaysians. She only managed to make it when she left. Shafika, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you it was so much. a pleasure and delight. Thank you. Such, it was so fun. <laughs> thank yeah, you for having for sure. me. I know. It was such a fun conversation. <laughs> Before you go, do you have, do you want to like plug anything like a website or a social media social media accounts where our listeners can can sort of with you yeah if you want to see if Bevel more about K-pop randomly you can follow me on Twitter which is at uh, SFQOMHZ and lastly and lastly stream all in by Stray Kids stream all in Thank you listeners for tuning in to the He Says, She Says, They Say podcast. And we hope you enjoyed the episode. If you'd like to get in touch with us, feel free to drop us a mail. And you can also follow us on Twitter at he, she, they say underscore. Till next time. Bye.